Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings, it's the Do Business Better podcast. I'm your host, Damian Mason. We get together here a couple times a week and we bring in great entrepreneurial ideas and guests to inspire you and give you information, ideas you can use. And today is just such an episode. My guest is Scott Massey. Scott Massey is the founder of Heliponics. He's going to tell us all about that, but you're going to love this young man. He's 24 years old. He started a company while he was in college. He is scraping together every nickel he has to make this happen, and it's pretty darn impressive. You're going to learn about what it's like to start a company when you're in your 20s and you're still in college. You're going to learn about a neat new technology that you may even want to buy into. His name is Scott Massey. He is my guest. Thank you for being here on the Do Business Better podcast. Thank you for having me. Okay. You're a, you're a, an engineer from Evansville, Indiana. You're going to my alma mater, Purdue University in mechanical engineering technology. You get an internship, you get another internship and all of a sudden it starts sparking an idea. Take me there. Uh, so my junior year at Purdue, I had that great opportunity to uh, start working at the horticulture college on a NASA funded research study using hydroponics. Uh, my background before that point had been working with fluid mechanic systems in the oil and natural gas industry and was able to segue pretty well into that research study role uh, where we would manage the fluid systems. Uh, and that's where I really fell in love with the technology of hydroponics, uh, the ability to be able to grow plants indoors, uh, regardless of what the climate is outdoors or what season of the year it is. Okay. Uh, and that's... Now, 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 here's the thing, it's because I'm an agricultural guy and, and you are in this business, some of these listeners are saying, wait a minute, hydroponics, growing plants without soil, what? Go ahead and just take us there. So there's two types of agriculture. There's geoponics and hydroponics. Geoponics is of the earth using soil and hydroponics is eliminating the soil uh, from the actual process by instead having a seed that's usually embedded in some sort of media. A lot of times it could be rock wool or things like coconut core or even peat moss. And you recirculate uh, you, your water over the roots constantly for the crops. And this is advantageous for a number of reasons. Uh, one of the biggest is that it's really efficient in water usage because it recirculates the water so you don't have losses to evaporation or runoff as you would outdoors, uh, but you're also keeping the environment in a perfect and consistent state of pH and nutritional value for the crops themselves to uptake. So you can get even faster growth rates than you otherwise have outdoors. And the comparison I kind of like to make between the two is if you have something in the soil, that plant's root structure is actively seeking for all of those macro and micronutrients in the soil. And that requires energy and you're going to see a growth rate of anywhere from two to three months. When you do these same crops, particularly leafy green vegetables or some culinary herbs indoors, and you give them what I like to call the kind of all you can eat buffet where all these macro and micros are readily available on a constant supply, you can triple your growth rates. Uh, it's where you can harvest full heads of greens in just a matter of a month and 30 days. 
Okay, so you're, thank you for explaining that. So now, dear listeners, you understand hydroponics versus geoponics, and some of us agricultural people were familiar, but I knew that maybe you were not. So it's really a neat concept. It's also not as though Mr. Massey invented that. In fact, uh, it's been around for quite a while, but you were doing this thing with NASA. As a college kid, as a student, you're working with NASA because they're thinking, okay, we're going to send astronauts to outer space, and we've got to feed them. And so is that kind of what you're working on is how we can feed folks out in outer space? Yeah, absolutely. And hydroponics is a fascinating history. Uh, Marco Polo wrote of seeing floating farms in China, and they're even visible in South America and a lot of those ancient empires. Uh, today, we're now using this tech to kind of eliminate our dependency on soil beyond our own planet. And the International Space Station has been one of the first applications of that. And the focus of the research study that I was a part of at Purdue was energy optimization. Uh, the light bulbs above our heads right now are emitting what's known as white light or full spectrum, meaning all the visible uh, wavelengths of light are present in that light. But if you use LEDs to isolate certain colors of the spectrum that the plants need to grow, you could see significant energy savings. So in any environment where energy would be in short supply or need to be generated on that point, uh, energy optimization through these new efficient LEDs is extremely important. So the focus of our study specifically was monitoring the amount of CO2 coming into the growth chamber and oxygen coming out under different wavelengths of light for an addressable LED array. Okay, so that's what you're working on a few years ago. And then what happened? So you, you say, all right, I'm a college student. I'm going to go get my degree. Maybe I'll just work for NASA because this is kind of a neat internship. But something else happened along the way. What was it? Uh, that's where it was a bit of an unfortunate experience. Uh, I found out that the indoor ag industry is uh, still a pretty infant industry as a whole. And a lot of these massive commercial hydroponic farms uh, don't always have the margins of the financial resources available to hire young engineers to work at them. So the summer before my senior year, because that research study was limited to the school year, I applied around and found a new internship within the construction industry. And uh, the switch up that occurred was I was told I was going to go to Hawaii for this internship, but was instead reassigned to build low-income housing in El Paso, Texas. So the, 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 young, the young man who wants to be involved in uh, indoor, futuristic agricultural food production to, to feed humanity is now building low-income housing in uh, El Paso, Texas, and so totally not what you thought you were going to do. Not at all. And one of our responsibilities, or at least mine was as the intern, was to collect inventory uh, records for the existing appliances and these uh, housing project units. And this area was also a food desert, and it was a literal desert as well, being in El Paso. And there wasn't a lot of fresh food options for the residents nearby. And that's when this idea really kind of took root in my own mind that summer. And I like to make the analogy of the ice industry evolution. It's almost like these massive vertical farms are kind of like the ice factories in the early 1900s that would deliver ice to the end user. But where do we get our ice today? The personal ice factory that we call the refrigerator that 98% of Americans have. Right. Yeah, you're, saying that back, you're saying that back in the old days, uh, well, first off, in the way old days, somebody went out all winter long and cut blocks of ice off of a lake or a river and put them in a building and uh, insulated with sawdust and then would deliver ice to you. And then somewhere around July, the place was completely melted out. You didn't have ice until uh, again in December. Am I right? 
Yeah. And I gave a TED talk uh, about a year ago at Wabash College and uh, using that exact uh, same concept. I like to call that ICE 1.0. Okay. So the ICE 2.0 is, ICE 2.0 is now we've got some places that are industrialized and they can make and freeze ice, but still the average person that lives out here in uh, America doesn't have the means of doing that. So then they get blocks of ice delivered to them. So there's what, ICE 2.0? Yeah. And those facilities uh, for both agriculture and the ice industry have three big limitations, massive infrastructure costs. It's got to be financed by the investor, high capital uh, costs just for the energy to run refrigeration or indoor lighting and heating in a controlled environment and labor costs. You've got a lot of people on payroll to make sure that these operations are going to run smoothly. Okay. So you said, wait a minute, if ice went through this evolution, maybe food can go through this evolution. I'm a young aspiring engineer. I know a little bit about hydroponics and I've worked with NASA. I wonder if there's an answer like ice for leafy vegetables. And then voila, the idea for what your company now, Heliponics. And by the way, I should have opened up by saying this is a food company. The idea is you can grow your own food. I should have said that at the very beginning, but I got so excited talking about you. I'll do it in the write-up. Tell us then about this idea coming to fruition. You hit the nail on the head. We are Keurig for food. Uh, that's when the kind of final revelation that we're going to move towards this uh, personal food uh, kind of revolution of a product that now the consumer buys into that they want to have. It looks good and it's easy to use in their home. Uh, and we came up with a patent that was more energy efficient than what had been previously available on the market and even a recurring revenue business model of sending a varieties of customizable seed pods uh, directly to the consumer so they can grow in their home. So you had this idea that, okay, much like ice, let's make it so that the consumer, no matter where they live, can grow their own leafy vegetables through hydroponics and some, and some technology and some lighting and some other changes. And then you said, I'm going to invent this thing. Tell me about the thing. And that's where I did a lot of research and I came up with a concept called rotary aeroponics. Uh, and the best comparison I could make would be a rotisserie chicken. Uh, heat, just like light, uh, dissipates its energy exponentially the further you get away from the source. So if you're going to have high intensity lights in your uh, system, you typically need to have some sort of ventilation, uh, cooling in place, which is going to give you even additional energy cost. And the moment you uh, jump over the price of what the consumer's paying at the grocery store for this produce, you're not really solving anything for them. You're really just giving them a more expensive way to obtain food. Uh, but what's interesting about the rotisserie chicken is that by introducing motion to the subject matter that you're turning around, uh, and in that case, a high heat source, uh, on a moving product, uh, we're able to do the same thing with the plants by rotating the plants about stationary lights. These lights normally at this distance would be too intense and could actually burn the crop. But because we reintroduce motion, the kind of missing element that's in a lot of indoor ag uh, systems, you can get variable lighting on the crops, which actually has higher uh, photosynthetic rates and allows you to fit even more plants in a small footprint. Okay, so I've seen one of your devices on your website essentially to the listener uh, that's trying to understand this, it's a, about the size of a dorm refrigerator. That's what this unit looks like. It's about the size of a dorm refrigerator. It's got, uh, it's got some lighting and it's got some ability to move water. And then it's got a stack. I almost call it like a, a stack uh, turntable, if you will. Uh, am I describing this right? 
Yeah, yeah. So what we have are these stackable growth rings that go inside of the unit, uh, all of which are dishwashable and antimicrobial plastic. Uh, so the user is able to input up to 60 pods inside of our system, and we're able to achieve a 30-day growth rate. Uh, so it could potentially be up to a full head of a harvest of leafy greens on a daily basis. So you're saying that I can uh, I can put my seeds in this thing and then just voila, turn it on, and then there it goes, and then 30 days later, I've got a harvest of fresh greens to feed my family. Yeah, absolutely. So the pods are sent to you on a monthly basis. Everything that you need with the nutrients and the pods are provided by us. So there's no additional knowledge or parts required. Uh, we're really upfront with everything that needs to be bought for this product. And that you can, can actually also, be, you can be harvesting beyond, you're not doing one harvest every 30 days. You can harvest a little bit every few days, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we grow assortments of leafy green crops, uh, culinary herbs, even some fruiting varieties, which were one of the first systems in this market uh, that is in this kind of dishwasher size under the counter model that's able to grow fruiting varieties of crops. Very neat. Okay. Now you've had to go from being a tech person and an engineering person and an idea person to now uh, running your business. You're 24 years old. You started this before you even graduated. You've been out for a little while. Where are we now as a business? Uh, so now we have uh, five employees that work with the company and a number of uh, contractors that do some software development. Uh, we're fortunate to have recently secured some funding uh, from some investing groups and we'll be actually fully launching our production model at the end of this year, uh, which means anyone who can pre-order their GrowPod right now at growpod.io, that's G-R-O-P-O-D.io, uh, will actually be able to get a cookbook sent to them uh, for their $500 pre-order deposit for the machine. They can also find you, by the way, I went and just typed in Heliponics, didn't I? Yeah. So we're on all social media channels for Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, and Facebook. Uh, you could just search Heliponics, which is H-E-L-I-P-O-N-I-X. All right. So you get this wonderful idea. And I, I think it's what's admirable is that you're a young guy who is taking this on and you're being very methodical about it. I'm sure you still get emotional about it. Are there times that you're, uh, are there times you just pissed off because it's just not going as fast as you want it to? Uh, you know, I, I always recommend to any founder that they keep some sort of narrative or recollection of events that goes on. And I think one of the most rewarding things to do is to go back and read what I was worried about one year ago. And probably one of the best traits I could say any founder could have is just going to be resilience. Uh, if you're a young person and you have the drive to start a company and you also have the willingness to learn and kind of accept that there's going to be things that you could be wrong about, you can usually make it through, especially in Indiana. Uh, Purdue universities become incredibly uh, supportive of companies uh, to actually start, students start their own companies and even pursue it as a full-time career beyond graduation. That's very good. When I was there, that wasn't necessarily known as an entrepreneurial hub, but things have changed in 25 or 30 years, thank goodness. So yeah, you already beat me to it. And my, my listeners know that I sent you the normal questions that we can go to because I ask a lot of the same questions because you always get a different response from a different entrepreneur or business owner. You said resilience. When I talk about the four traits, as I call them the success traits, you've been at it for two years and you're smart enough to know that you're going to have more times uh, that are trying and more times to pick yourself up the, off the mat. So you're already feeling like you can, you can withstand uh, what, what world, what the world throws at you. 
Yeah. Yeah. We've been in the market. Uh, we've actually sold our beta model, uh, kind of coming out of, uh, that student leap, I think jumping from pre to post revenue is probably the hardest any startup can actually go through. Uh, things by no means get easier after that, but that's probably one of the biggest make or break jumps that's going to have for anyone. And in our case, that was hunkering down in a garage in Washington, Indiana and personally assembling and selling all of our first products to early adopters. Uh, so what did you do right early on? What did you do right? That's the reason you're still here today. And granted, you're still living skinny and anybody listening to this podcast can uh, appreciate that. I mean, my God, some of us have been out here. I've been in running my own enterprise for as long as you've been alive. And I'm not doing that in a condescending way. I'm just telling you, frankly, I still have to go through the skinny and pick myself up off the mat. So we just know that that's part of it. So you're, you're living skinny. You're, you're willing to go through that, but what'd you do right that you're looking back at now and saying, by golly, I got this right. I think we did two things right really early, maybe three. I think number one, I was really fortunate to have a great team member and co-founder Ivan Ball, uh, who was originally my coworker on the NASA research study who I approached as a friend and uh, with the pretty simple proposition that if he assisted in building the first prototype, uh, we could go into business plan competitions and kind of compete with here's our pilot product or here's this early, early kind of conceptual prototype. Uh, please, you know, support us with the funding to move forward. And in the beginning, uh, that's crucial, kind of having a solid base to kind of build your team from. And I would say second from that is we set milestones and we weren't afraid to fail fast, but we learned even quicker from that. Uh, for every competition that we applied to for funding, uh, that set a deadline, whether it's one, two months out, we're going to have a new prototype. And judging by the failures, and you're certainly going to have a lot of them, and we had our fail share, uh, these are the bullet points of items that need to be functional on this next prototype. So we're going to have a product that's scalable uh, to users. It's just because one thing works in a lab does not mean by any means it's going to work in the actual real-world environment, uh, which is ordinary consumers using your product. All right. Uh, who, who are those consumers, Scott? I mean, you've got this thing invented. And I've tried to describe it as best I can. And the, the people listening right now, yeah, get, they can go to Heliponics or what's the other website? Uh, growpod.io. Growpod.io. G-R-O-P-O-D.io. Say it again. G-R-O-P-O-D.io. Fantastic. So the person can see this product. Uh, who's buying it? Right now, who's a customer? Uh, so we've actually seen a really interesting use case all across the spectrum to our early adopters. And these are people that reached out to us having seen uh, some of the publications uh, from some of the awards we'd won uh, in Indiana and kind of throughout the Midwest. Uh, we have some schools that use grow pods as part of the curriculum to teach the students about agriculture. Uh, a lot of them are running into greenhouse costs being pretty high when this is an area that's growing. There's a lot of employment opportunities and they're uh, receiving some funding to start including in their curriculum. Uh, we've had even a restaurant owner purchase this, uh, wanting to have some more rare or expensive culinary herbs on our menu available to people. And we've also had a lot of residential consumers who just want better tasting, healthier, tasty food inside their home and a device that looks good. Uh, we have a beautiful aesthetic design that is comparable to that of uh, one of the nicest wine cooler refrigerators you could buy on the market with stainless steel finished front that complements uh, any kitchen space. But we're seeing two big primary value propositions. One is people who are in urban environments that don't have the space to grow crops and also people in more northern environments where they don't have uh, that growing season year round and maybe longer, more intense winters. 
Yeah, and and, and uh, there's this thing, you know, where there are urbanites that want to younger folks, especially like the millennials and Gen Y, I'm reading articles that they want to be a part of this. It's like, okay, I, I think that there's something about food and, and even though they live in an apartment in Chicago. So is that going to be your customer or is it too cost prohibitive right now for a person your own age that's sharing an apartment with their friend and their first job out of college? No. And we have young people who uh, have actually purchased this product and we've had individuals with uh, medical use cases who were diabetic or had some instances of, you know, some gastrointestinal issues and they prefer what we call clean food. Uh, things that are really just free of pesticides and preservatives, even including our subscription costs and energy usage. Uh, we have a pretty quick ROI for the user, uh, which makes it a pretty sensible purchase for young people who do use this sort of product. Okay, if you buy one of these and then you also subscribe to the seeds and, and the subscription that you give them and then also the energy usage, what is a year usage of this? What is the, what's the outlay? What are you talking about? For as far as kind of subscription costs. So we have different price tiers. The more pods that you buy on a monthly basis, the cheaper that they get. Uh, even at our lowest tier of 10 C pods a month, our users are paying about $27 on a monthly cost. And that's about 10 full heads of leafy greens. But if you're doing something like a more expensive locally grown culinary herb, uh, you could see an ROI uh, well within a year or two for owning a product such as this. Okay, so you can pay for this in a year and you get the benefit and maybe even the fun. There's probably a lot of people who think it's really cool to come uh, come home from work and then grab some vegetables and some cilantro or whatever out of the out of the the, helo, the heloponics unit. Yeah, yeah, it, it goes beyond just kind of wanting to have the highest quality food, but it's a, it's a pretty intimate experience when you know that your own food came from nowhere else that was personally grown for you as the individual. So where are we going from here? Tell me about the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, in the next year, you're going to see our full production launch. Uh, we now have a dedicated contract manufacturer here in the Midwest. So we're probably making these uh, assembled in the USA to sell directly to our users. And beyond this, we really see growth uh, with just our user base moving forward with this full production model. Uh, now that we've eliminated our biggest bottlenecks in the business for the production of the actual hardware unit and also the consumable goods at the pods that the users need to have. Um, and you're, and you're all about growth. I mean, you're, you're not only like growing vegetables, you're trying to grow this business and to create this, uh, you know, this thing. Is it for you? Is it for the money? Is it because you said, by God, I can make this happen? Uh, you know, I think it was seeing an opportunity to improve the technology. I never started out with any ambitions to really found a company. It was more so understanding that if this product was going to have its intended impact of uh, increasing food quality and one day eliminating food insecurity, uh, there's no one else out there than really yourself to count on if you're going to start a business like that. Uh, so our goal is to hopefully grow this company to become one of the largest farms in the world without owning a single acre of errand of land, just connected virtually through our network of grow pods. And then you, you can eventually even grow more on different things. Presumably your, your package of subscription for the seeds can get even more diverse. I assume once you have economies of scale working with you. Yes. Absolutely. Um, think of Keurig today. Uh, they had a smaller offering when they launched their pods, and now you can get all sorts of beverages, and that's moving into all sorts of exciting places. Uh, this will also be a platform for food where people will be able to have all sorts of crops and vegetables that you may miss from your home region or you might not be able to get in your area whatsoever. Uh, we're really kind of democratizing agriculture.
democratizing agriculture. I love it. His name is Scott Massey. He's the founder of Heliponics. You can find him once again at all over social media at Heliponics. That's Hela like helicopter, Ponics, P-O-N-I-X. His name is Scott Massey. He's a 24-year-old young, striving entrepreneur uh, who I absolutely just think is doing some cool stuff. You'll come back in another year or two and tell me how it's going. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Closing thought, last idea, something you want to send our listeners out with. You're a 24-year-old, a striving entrepreneur trying to democratize agriculture and creating the Keurig for food, which I love that. And you know what? That's always fantastic. I talk about ability to describe something that's unfamiliar using the familiar. And when you said that in our warm-up, you told me that you were creating the Keurig for food. I thought, got it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for anyone out there, I'd uh, recommend taking advantage of the resources you have available to start your company. Uh, and if you're in Indiana and a Purdue graduate, uh, such as ourselves, uh, there's great resources available through the Purdue Foundry. And if you're in the agriculture space, also great resources with state-run groups such as Agronovis or even uh, Purdue's Westgate location here in Southern Indiana to really promote your idea. You're awesome. His name's Scott Massey. Look him up, follow him, keep your eye on him. He's going to come back here. Hey, till next time. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. It's the Do Business Better podcast. See you next time.